now I'm listening to one of the podcasts and one of your guests and you were talking about, was it RSD? I think I have the initials right. And I'm like, I don't even know. And, and that was all like RSD was all it was said. And I was like, I gotta go Google this, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this explains every fight we've ever had. Hello, and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. Before we get started, I'd like to share with you this review from the Apple podcast platform in the UK from a listener called Eyes Open. It's entitled So Helpful and Insightful. These podcasts have saved me from the internal torment of feeling like I'm awful at every part of my life. I'm able to hear other women talk about their lived experiences and see how fantastic they are despite or because of these brain functions. Katie, thank you for providing the language, strength, and reflection needed to understand my own brain. These conversations are amazing resources. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you, Eyes Open. This review gets me so emotional because I think of how much we can beat ourselves up over who we are, and so often we are incredible human beings. And you're right, together we are learning a new language for who we are and how our brains work best. And we're learning to love them and work with them instead of against them. It really can be life-changing. And I'm just so glad you found this podcast and that it's been helping. And speaking of learning to love our brains and work with them, as of this recording, there is one spot left in the Wednesday small group coaching sessions that are starting in a few weeks. So if you'd like to go over and grab that last spot, then head over to womenandadhd.com slash group coaching for more information and to register. Uh, The small groups include four weekly hour-long sessions together as a group and one additional hour-long session alone with me. And just to let you know, these will be the last small group sessions I will be coaching until September. So if you want to grab that last spot, head over to womenandadhd.com slash group coaching, and you can find that link in the show notes as well. And if you get there and that spot has already been taken, you can always sign up for the wait list, and that'll get you early access to the September group enrollment. Okay, here we are at episode 85, in which I interviewed Tennille Boyer. Tennille is a full-time working mom of three who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2017 when she was in her early 40s. Tennille is an avid listener of the podcast who reached out to me to share her diagnosis story, and I was instantly drawn to her energy and her humor, and I know you will be too. After a brief stint as a TV reporter in the late 90s, she fell into the perfect career for her, sales for early-stage companies, which she discovered is an ideal environment for her ADHD brain. Tennille's husband is a serial entrepreneur and what she describes as a type A neurotypical. I definitely relate, especially when she talks about his alphabetized spice cabinet, because my husband actually did the same thing. So we talk all about what it's like to have ADHD and be married to a type A neurotypical partners who just seem to always have it 150% together. And we also talk about our past careers that have felt well suited to ADHD And Tennille also recounts a traumatic experience with a doctor when she was first seeking a diagnosis, which I know many of you will relate to. All right, without further ado, enjoy. So I guess I will start out with the with your diagnosis, because you were actually diagnosed a few years ago, right? Three or four years ago. Um, So what was going on in your life at that point? And that led to the diagnosis? Um, So it was interesting, because, you know, my whole life, I'd always been like, Oh, I'm so ADD, you know, and it was just kind of this like joke of sorts, but never anything real in my mind. Um, and so what I, I guess it was like 2017 fall of 2017, I, was probably, I guess I was 41, I'm about to be 46 in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I have three kids. So right now they're 10, 11 and 14. So whatever they were in 2017, I'm not going to do the math, but I can figure that out. <laughs> um, and it was like, I had had, um, 
I always worked. My husband's an entrepreneur. I met him at work. I was the fifth employee he hired back in 2000. I'd been a TV reporter and I'm like, oh, this is very depressing. I'm going to go work for the internet, you know, you know, and I'm saying that with air quotes for people, um, because it was 2000 and I was like, the dot coms are all the rage. So I I went to work for this dot com, which he had started. That's how we met. So anyway, we'd, after we'd had our first, I'd had a nanny for ever. Like I actually tried to get my daughter. I like peed on the stick and put her on the list at the local daycare place. She didn't get in anywhere. Like it was just so bonkers how hard it was to get that. So we ended up putting an ad on Craigslist and finding this most amazing nanny of all time, which I'd thought for sure somebody on Craigslist would like chop her up and eat her. So I was very nervous about that, but it was turned out to be wonderful. And, um, when I had, she was with us for seven years. And when we sold our majority interest in the company, we st- I started staying home. That's when things started to be like, okay, I don't know how I ever had a job because it's taking me all day to do the things like get a birthday present for somebody or whatever. So I was, but I realized I had nothing else to focus on. So it worked. In 2017, I started to go back to work. And that was when she hit the fan because I did not have a nanny anymore. And I now was so responsible for so many things. And I didn't know that this was rearing its ugly head for me at the at that point, but I was really starting to beat myself up. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't sign my daughter up for piano during the school day and I missed the window. Now I'm gonna have to find a time to find a place for her to go after school. And she's been doing this for years, or I didn't even take my son to that birthday party. Totally said we'd be there. Totally forgot about it. You know, like all these things. And I was really getting down on myself. So I made an appointment with a therapist, you know, to go in and just talk about it. Cause I've always been happy and positive and confident, but it was just really not, it was just different for me. Um, and I went in and <laughs> we're like, I don't know, halfway through this first session. And he's like, let's talk about like the ADHD factor. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you, you clearly have ADHD. And I was like, really? Like even the H and he's, (laughs) he was like, well, do you hear yourself? Like, are you always talking this fast and this animated and this middle? And you're just like talking about this topic and then this topic. And I was like, and so he ended up doing a formal test and like that brought one home. My husband filled out. It's like, her car's a disaster. She doesn't know where her keys is. Her phone's always lost. Like all the things. Right. And that was really what's how it started. Um, And it was just this whole like light bulb, which sounds so silly in hindsight because it's so evident and obvious to me now, but I just had, I just didn't, I didn't understand it at all. I didn't understand what it even meant to have that just other than you were hyper, you know, inattentive type of person. Yeah. Yeah. I often feel like that where I'm like, God, it seems so simple to look at it now. And yet it felt so profound at the time to really sort of connect all of those dots. Uh, Mm -hmm. I never thought I had ADD. I never thought I had ADHD. I thought I was the opposite. I mean, I thought, um, I never really thought about it. I mean, I thought I had Alzheimer's. I thought I had bipolar. I thought I had depression. I mean, all the old huge list of other, you know, uh, comorbidities, but like it never even once occurred to me because I just never thought about it. It was not ever anything that, um, was in my family or, or brought up. I mean, now I kind of can cherry pick all the different people in my family who clearly have it. My mom. (laughs) And my mom and my sister, I mean, it is my, my sister got diagnosed a few years before me. So that's been super fascinating. Um, and my mom, a hundred percent, like it is a hundred percent my mom, like that it's from, of course she's 71 and has zero interest in taking an ADHD test, but, um, but we all know. So my husband is the total opposite, very type A, like our spices are like in, um, alphabetical order. And my dad would do that forever. And my parents were here a couple of weeks ago and Sean was like, Oh, the garlic powder is over, you know, and he's like, listen, 
her mother, my whole life, I had the spices like this. Just don't even just give it up. She's never going to put the spice back in the alphabetical order. This is how her mom has always been. Like, it's just so clearly genetically from, from her, uh, for us. Oh, so I'm curious. Okay. So now I have two questions. So I want to hear about your sister too. Cause your sister, like, what was it like? Was she, did she have a sort of a similar experience where she was having kind of this breakdown that brought yeah, her to the diagnosis? Her was She's always been much more, the emotional regulation for her was always challenging. Like she's the firstborn, but I act like I was always acting like the firstborn, like the good, the rule following one. She was like the giving my parents heart failure, not coming home at, till 2 a.m. randomly or, you know, whatever. She was a challenging teenager and all, and then just still is that way. She's just who she is. But she has, you know, when you, I've read so much about it, and I now I know more people with it, where your ADHD is so profound and such a challenge that it just really messes you up in the workplace. And I think that for me, I got really lucky that I fell into a job like sales, which is what I do, and working for my husband, right? So it was like, I had a lot of freedom to follow my different paths and guts and instincts because we were a small company and startups. And that's kind of always been my jam since then, where she was always in bigger boxed environments, you know, like the capital ones of the world and bigger companies where, you know, it's never, it doesn't lend itself to that. And so like she would struggle with relationships at work or reading signals the right way and things like that, that really drove her to, counseling that then led to that diagnosis for her. Yeah. Oh, I, wow. I just had a flashback of how many times in the newsroom I would leave after like a year of, because I had an incompetent boss or I just would have like this outburst of just like, I can't yeah. be here anymore. I know. Yeah. Her, like this people like, and I also realize now like the speed at which we process and how fast we want to move and just like things being in our way are, is very painful you know, and I could not be in a company with red tape. Like I'm very fortunate that I've always been in these small startup companies because uh, you have so much freedom to sniff out your instinct and follow it. Um, and I think that's a challenge. If, you know, how do you contain yourself in a way and understand what's appropriate in a bigger work environment? I think, you know, that's where at least I know my sister has just, I'm always like, you need to be in a small company or just work as contractor remote, you know, and kind of do your own thing. Yeah. I, I, and then my other question is also about my follow-up is, is with the type A husband. Cause I, I re definitely related to that a lot um, with my own husband. You know, when we met, we were both like, you know, tenderfoot news, news kids. I was actually older than I am still older than him. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm like, I, you know, we were both sort of at the same level in the newsroom and I watched his star rise and becoming, you know, getting more management positions. And I was always floundering. And I always had that question of like, well, is it because I can't play well with others? Is it because we moved for his next job? Is it because, you know, and then I had to find another job and then we had kids. So then, you know, I was under all of that pressure of like, now I'm terrible at my job and terrible as a mom. And like, you know, it, it just, it was always fascinating to me over the years to watch him and then again, you know, just sexism in general, right? Which is like, you know, he's always getting paid more. So we had to, we, you know, because he was getting paid so much more than me, we had to focus on his tract mm -hmm. instead of mine. And I always came second. And so like that just, it just like, it, it just like weighs on you, right? Like there's just more and more of that pressure boiling up. Um, and so when you were talking about like having kids and going back to work and just like trying to juggle the birthdays and all of that, and I'm like, what exactly 
is your husband doing it during that period? Cause that's like, not yeah. to, I don't want to throw him under the bus or something, but I just feel like why what, is it the maleness or the type A-ness or the neurotypicalness? Cause my yeah. husband is the same way. Like that stuff, it was just never, it was not in his wheelhouse. Like it was, it was never something he ever had to deal with. And, yeah. you know, and I, I, I often on the podcast, like, I'm always like, is this ADHD? Is this feminism? Like, you know, you know, is this know. the role that women are given in society that to like juggle yeah. so much that we can't handle it? And so executive. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So totally. I'm like, I'm curious, like what was, what was his role when you were having this yeah. moment? Well, at that point, you know, and I'll say he's always done a ton. It was more that I probably just took it on and didn't, I, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not an ask for help person. Right. I just didn't even, I wasn't, I had my self-awareness is like an onion. I'm continuing to peel back and will be forever. Right. And it was like, I was just starting to peel, I think around then. And it was just not even a thing to be raising my hand to say, you know what? I, I can't juggle this or whatever. Um, but it is now like a 180. I mean, it is, he does like everything. I mean, I couldn't live if like, I remember you saying this about your husband on, on one podcast. And I don't even think it was yours or somebody else's. I think that's where I even started hearing you. Um, and I was like, if he gets hit by a bus, we are screwed because I like, he holds it all together. He signs everybody up for sports. He takes notes at the parent teacher's meeting. He books the parent teacher's meetings. He, you know, like he schedules our social activities. He responds to the tech group texts that I don't respond to like all that stuff. Right. He's, he's so on it. And because he knows like I can only manage with so many things I'll, or I'll get like, I get this paralysis of, I don't even know where to start. You know, like I literally have four or 382 unread texts right now because, and it's like, now I don't even want to look at my phone, right? Because I'm just paralyzed by all the things that I may have missed or dropped the ball on. Um, and he really prevents the ball from dropping. And so it, it just, he's actually reading ADHD 2.0 right now. Um, and I'd heard about it on, on your podcast, but I'd, I'd had read the original book, which is ironic, the driven to distraction or by or whatever the title is. That's like, mm -hmm looks like a, you know, the Bible, it's so gigantic. And I'm like, how am I ever going to read this thing? It's the irony that the ADD person is trying to read this book. Um, but I did, I finally made it through and it was fascinating, but I loved that the 2.0 version looked a little, little more palatable. And so I read that one and now he's reading it because I, I was like, it'll give you such a better understanding for me and for our middle child, who is definitely a mini me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a long journey. I mean, it's harder because he doesn't, I tease, he wasn't the type A type of person. It's not typically born with strong amounts of empathy. I'm like his empathy muscles, like a prosthetic that he needs to like work out, you know, to, uh, to have it function. Whereas I can feel every feeling of the people around me and I don't like discord and I'm always trying to make up for and he just doesn't care. He'll, you know, he'll fuss or be angry about something where I'm just like, oh, you don't realize this person's already feeling down about something. Like I feel all the things, right? So it's a big mix of learning, learning from each other all the time, I guess. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge moment, uh, a transformative moment for me after my diagnosis, uh, realizing how much time I had spent in our 20 year marriage at this point, you know, valuing what all of the things that my husband did and all of the things he brought to the table and never paying any attention to the things I brought to the table mm -hmm. and really suddenly kind of looking and being like, yeah, he does all of these things. He's incredibly competent. And I was always feeling competitive or jealous or, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, terrified that, that it was all going to, you know, that this was all going to fall apart. And then at the same time, never at all paying attention to 
the things I brought as a, as a mother, as a wife, you know, like, and so when I sort of started looking at myself through this new lens, it was really profound for me to actually be like, no, I'm actually like a fantastic white, like he's lucky to right. have me. Yeah. Right. Totally. Right. Well, and I will say the thing that I, one of the things that really blew my mind that I had never heard of before. And I was down at my in-laws and I'm always trying to escape when I'm there and I'm like outside taking a walk and I'm listening to one of the podcasts and one of your guests and you were talking about was it RSD? I think I have the initials right. And I'm like, I don't even know. And, and that was all like RSD was all it was said. And I was like, I gotta go Google this, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this explains <laughs> every fight we've ever had. Like, because he is such the king of like, I have beautiful handwritten notes in my desk right here where he's always saying like all the amazing things that I am doing. He's telling the kids like, we need to thank mommy for this amazing dinner and all the time, right? Uh, those things, whoosh, but you say, I can't believe you left your dish in the sink or any, any comment. And I am defensive and like, it's just a whole thing. Like it's a whole thing that I just didn't even know was a thing. And I was so glad to learn about it. Yeah. I, you know, so many of us, I think as women come to our understanding of ADHD through the emotional element, right? The emotional dysregulation and the, and our interpersonal relationships and the shame. And like, none of that is in the DSM. I, I think like so few doctors even know to look for that or even to talk about that. All they're thinking about is, did you lose your keys? <laughs> and, right. But it, all of us, when we hear about RSD, when we go down that Google rabbit hole, you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. It was just hungry. I couldn't, I was like, just kept wanting to read about it because I also saw my son so much in that. And it's just then like, okay, now I need to go do a whole nother launch, which I haven't done yet down the rabbit hole of how do you be the other person that doesn't have RSD or two RSD people or whatever. Right. And so it's just, there's a lot to learn about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that really uh, mind blowing too, when um, in ADHD 2.0, when Hallowell and Rady talk about the uh, the default mode network, the demon on your shoulder and the angel and the demon and how like it feeds, you know, it makes sense that it is more interesting for us to focus on the negative because that provides us with dopamine. And I was like, oh yeah, that really explains a lot. Totally. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's pivot a little and and talk about your son because you had mentioned in your first email to me about um, you know that he hasn't been fi- formally diagnosed. My kids have not been formally diagnosed either yet, so that's a, a conversation I have a lot of. You know, do they or don't they? What do I do about this? Um, but you also sort of mentioned that there's kind of a reason there. What's what's yeah, the backstory? So, you know, his his and I think you know, and I know one of the questions we'll talk about is kind of like the childhood factor, um, but like. I have such scarring from my own childhood of just not being smart and all of these things, right. Which we can talk about, but I think that I, I stay on high alert, right? Like, so my oldest totally fine off kindergarten reading, doing all the things, my middle one who is hands down the most hilarious, quick witted, just, he's just an epic kid. He's just so fun to be around. Like adults want to hang out with him. Like he is just so fun. And he just, I mean, when he was four, I was like calling specialists, like I need to get him educationally tested. And they're like, um, no, like he's too little to come. But I'm like, you know, he went to junior kindergarten, then kindergarten. I was like, went, I remember going to a Halloween party, um, to help out at the classroom. And this kid's like reading a chapter book. And I'm like, um, my kid doesn't know like a seven from an F, right? Like, it, like just weird, nowhere near this. And I just, so we knew, I knew that there were learning issues going on. 
Um, and this is pre my ADHD diagnosis at all. Um, so he has now been educationally tested twice and he does, he has like a trifecta of learning stuff. Like he's dyslexic. He has low verbal fluency. One of the things is slow cognitive processing, which, you know, of course I, the educational you know, folks out there know that what that means in my brain. I'm like, he's not slow cognitive processing. He's the most quick witted, like comebacks you've ever heard, but it's much more, it's much deeper than that. Right. It's like the whole class is shifted and the teacher's like, okay, now take out your books, grab this. We're going to do this. And he's just back here. Like, wait, what, you know? So he couldn't even at the time, the last time he was tested, he was eight, he's 11 and a half. Now um, they couldn't even do the ADHD test because he just wasn't even responding in the time period in which they would be able to uh, make the test work for him. But I mean, he brought home four lunch boxes and seven water bottles from his locker yesterday because he didn't have any at home. So, I mean, he's all he is. He's just he'll get there. We're about to do another round of educational testing. But it's been very interesting for for me to then think like, gosh, am I too old to go get like educational testing? I would really love to have some answers if, you know, around why I struggled. Was it just the ADHD? Was it more, you know, and, and I don't know what the answer is to that. I'm I'm hoping to, to talk to somebody at some point soon to see if that's even a possibility to get, to get educationally tested at 45. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I really, again, like came through, through my ADHD diagnosis, I started learning more about like dyscalculia. I'd never heard of that or dysgraphia, you know, and all of these, I feel like I checked so many of those boxes that, yeah, I would be really curious to go back and and do them. I'm just terrified of all testing in general. <laughs> See, I'm a all testing. I'm a, my anxiety manifests in the form of hypochondria. So I like to say I got off the Google sauce about 15 years ago because I learned that that I will Google other people's medical things, but not my own. Cause I will have, I have catastrophic thinking. I, I have a headache. I have a brain tumor, right? My whatever, all those things. Um, and so I don't, but my sister has actually had a lot of different testing and found out she is really like slightly on the spectrum that she has auditory processing disorder, like different things that have just been so eye-opening for her and made a lot of sense for her life. Right. Yeah. And that's why I sort of feel like I always come back to this idea of like the, the neurodivergent spectrum and how so many of us are on, you know, kind of have these like almost like a buffet of like, okay, what did you take from the spectrum? Um, and, and how does it manifest in you? And then, so that's when I get super confused. Cause I'm like, when we're talking about ADHD, are we talking about the behaviors that result from being neurodivergent in, in environments that are not necessarily <laughs> friendly environments, you know, like school or new parenting right. or, you know, workplace environments, you know, obviously there's some that are really great like you. And then your sister was in experience, you know, experienced workplace environments that were horrible for her ADHD. So then I'm like, what are we even talking about? I get, I, I find like I get wound up in knots a lot of the time when we're talking about like the oh you know that huge spectrum of like all the different yeah traits and and comorbidities yeah yeah well it's also like I get I get really wound up about the like school for example you know and I don't know what kind of school you know your kids are in mine are in this very rigorous um academic school that I mean it's like I kind of wish I could go back and do over because I think I'd be such a better student now, but you know, and my, I watch my two of my kids totally fine. And I, I know my middle one, he's just not set up for success and he's just slaying life in his brain right now that I don't want it to even change. Right. And he's like, C's get degrees. Like, and he has this great, you know, mindset, but he's in fifth grade, right. It's going to get so hard. And so we, we just had looked at a school for unique brains like his is how we describe it. And I, 
had to bring it up to him the other night. It's just such a hard topic to just even mention, like just to even see if he'd be open to it. And I just, you know, kind of said, and I'm like, maybe I need to write a kid's book on this. But I was like, look, your school specializes in cookies. They make, you know, they know how to make a cookie. They know what a good cookie tastes like. And, you know, but you're a donut. Your brain is a donut. You think like a donut. And like, there are some other cupcakes and brownie bites and a few other donuts at school, but school, your school specializes in cookies. And there's the school over here that specializes in donuts and they don't give homework because they know donuts are beat mentally by the end of the day. They don't make you sit in an hour long class because they know donuts don't want to sit down for an hour. They want to go outside and do things with their hands. And he's just like, what? Like he couldn't even believe this exists. And he's like, are you already thinking that I have to go to the school? And I said, no, dude. I was like, I'm not. I'm just saying I spent my whole life thinking I was a dumb cookie and it turns out I'm a smart donut. And I just don't want that for you to think that, you know? And it, that analogy just came to me in the moment. But then my sister and I are like, oh my gosh, I need to write a book about the donut school. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is an incredible analogy. I like it. Uh, yeah. Cause I've talked about that too. Like how my parents never pressured me to get A's. They weren't that they weren't those parents. They just sort of wrote me off as the kid who got C's and D's and the occasional A. And so it was, you know, on the one hand, I feel like now looking back that really, it was really damaging to my sense of self as being, you know, a dumb person. And, and so now with my own kids, I'm always questioning, like, how much pressure do I put on them to get the A in the, because I know how much they, how good they will feel if they get that A. And, and a lot of it is figuring out like, what do you need in order to get that A? And sometimes you need to just go to the donut school. <laughs> right. right. He gets a lot of accommodations, but it's like, my husband is the opposite, right? He's like most likely to succeed, went to law school, got a master's in tax law. Like it's everything's easy, came easy to him from a school perspective, you know, had a full ride to college for football, like just all, like, he's just, you know, all the things. And so, you know, when he's doing homework with my son and he's like, pay attention. I'm like, you are just like, you might as well be throwing spaghetti against the wall, just seeing what sticks, because this is not, it's not that simple. Right. And so it's just been that learning for all of us has been really what's kind of put me on my own path of like, at first I didn't dig deep into it in 2017. Right. I was like, Oh, okay. Off I go. Now I really want to understand it so much more, even more so for, for my son. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference health. Help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. 
With GoHenry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply. Renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Huh. Now, you also mentioned that you had a kind of a, a doctor horror story. Was that with your diagnosis or was that with something else? No, kind of all of it. So... I think what I learned from that is like, and I, and it's funny, I use this analogy all the time with, with work and like what I sell and what anything I've, I've only sold a couple of things. So I have to be passionate about it. I can't sell ice to an Eskimo. I have to believe in it, but it's like so many products that exist in the market. Like they may have their core thing that they're good at. Right. But then they may be able to do one or two or three other things. Right. And I'm always like, that's like getting the salad at McDonald's, right? Like that's not what they're good at. They're never going to be good at that, right? Like we're going to always be good at, at that one sliver, right? So that's why people should use the product of what they're intended for. It's kind of my whole shtick. And what I'm realizing was like my doctor using the doctor, just a fam- my family doctor for this diagnosis was like getting the salad at McDonald's, right? Like this is not her specialty. This is never going to be her specialty, she's not spending years studying this and thinking about this or keeping up with medical things, right? Like she's just a family doctor. So as much as I had loved her and felt like we had a great relationship, um, you know, when I look back, when I went in with the paperwork, which of course was like immediately, cause you know, everything has to be yesterday. And I was like, I got my ADHD and what do I do? And blah, blah, blah. And he thinks I should get on medicine. And so she's just like, well, why? Like, why now? Like, you just like, you just can't keep up the way you used to. And like, it was just in hindsight, you know, and I remember like tearing up being like, I don't know, like I've just been beating myself up. And like, I, and she saw it was genuine. Right. I don't know if she just thought I was like, Hey, give me some Adderall. And I want to like go run a marathon with it or something. I don't know, but it was just a weird thing. So I did get on medication, which blew me away. Like then I really wanted a school do over like, Oh my gosh, I could actually sit down and have completed something and listen to all the words that came out of somebody's mouth. And, you know, I really had the discipline and the impulsivity was really settled. Um, and then over after COVID hit, we love to travel. We have an RV, we work remotely, we can go work from wherever. And, uh, we were like, Oh, let's go. So we were just doing things like not the beginning of the lockdown, but after that, um, and just out like our RV and doing different working, taking demos from the RV and all, Um, and so if I was in town for a few days, I would call to be like, Hey, can I, um, I think I'm supposed to pick my medicine up on Friday. Can I grab it Thursday? Cause we're going to be heading out Friday and they don't open till nine. We were trying to hit the road early, just little stuff. So that would happen off and on because they would, and I'm sure this is something that happens with a lot of, a lot of people. I'm just not aware of it. So I'm not a medication taker outside of this was like, Oh, you have to wait till 30 days runs out and blah, blah, blah. So it was just really bothersome at this, um, appointment a while back where, I mean, it's literally like a day early here or a day early there that she just said, like, maybe you're giving some to your friends or to your husband. And I thought, oh my God, you don't even know. My husband would like never. Um, I would ne- like just this accusatory bully, like really only cared about her office and her paperwork and her, the way it appeared to her versus, you know, how, how 
what my life was like or what I may need, or even what if I did have some sort of issue with the medicine, not even approaching this in a way that there'd be any vulnerability or ability to talk about it or open up. It was this very bullish approach. And I learned from that. And I have a new doctor who I love just, it's so key, just whether it's medicine or not medicine or therapy of any kind that they actually really get and understand what you're dealing with and what this, you know, is and how it plays out in your life. Um, and now I'm actually seeing a therapist too, who specializes in it. And it's so awesome because what I want to do is have strategies and I want to be aware of when to implement them. And that part was what it's just, it's night and day from just having a generic doctor who is giving you meds and off you go. I, the goal is I don't want to be on those. I want to handle my life and do things with a strategy in mind and have, have that assistance. Cause I don't have those tools in my toolbox. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, it's true. I mean, I definitely feel like the pills don't teach skills, uh, it, at, idiom is, yeah, is, is very true. And, and, you know, I talk about that a lot in terms of like, do you even need a formal diagnosis and, and, you know, medication. And I, I, I definitely don't follow the narrative that medication is the only way to treat ADHD. I mean, it's life-changing for many people, but it's also not the only treatment. I think there's so much more that need, you know, we, I, I feel like it gives, it's a disservice if we look at ADHD, like something like blood pressure or diabetes, where you do just need Plus medication, is, like right? Medicine. Exactly. No. Yeah. Like to me, it's like, I think about it as a temporary, um, assistant because I'm in the, the, the busiest, craziest point I will ever be right now with my kids, these ages, they are fourth, fifth and eighth, you know, all the things that are coming with that, but I'm only five years away from one being gone and the other one already driving and like just a different pace of life that all my friends who have got kids who are older, like, it's so crazy. We watch shows at night. Like, you know, it's just like, I'm like, what do you mean? We're doing three hours of homework and it's running <laughs> to sports, you know? And so I think about it as this temporary thing, but I care more about bigger picture, longer term, you know, how I can use the good parts to my advantage and how I can really negate the negative side of it and, and, be a better spouse or friend or employee and coworker and all that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I think medication is incredibly important. Excuse me. I think medication is incredibly important for a lot of people. And that's why I feel like um, the, the online diagnosis, you know, the, these online um, sites that are popping up here and there that are doing telehealth and telemedicine, like, you know, there's, I, I'm trying to address the skepticism around that because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, those aren't real diagnoses. That's just a pill mill. They're just want your money and they'll give you a diagnosis. And I'm like, what is the alternative going to your J GP who knows nothing about ADHD, who is going to gatekeep you and going to say things like you did well in school. So you can't possibly have ADHD or all right. this other bullshit we keep hearing from doctors who really just like have li literally done little to no research. Right. And, and then you've got the shame that I felt with her. That was what was really hard because I already deal with my own shame, right? I don't like me saying that I even take this medicine is a huge deal. My husband knows and like my sister and like one friend, because I feel shame and like this weird embarrassment that I am in a grown up date taking what seems like a kid's medicine or something. You know what I mean? It's this weird, I'm a, mentally screwed myself around it. And so I don't even, I don't, it was just so bothersome to, that sh I felt like the shame was being piled on versus somebody who would actually understand that that's a huge piece of the ADHD element is, is just naturally 
shame or, or just, you know, things that drudge up from your past of not being good enough or whatever it is, um, that you just wouldn't experience if you did go. I mean, I totally agree with you. Like to go to somebody, you don't have a lot of alternatives to get, to see somebody who specializes in it. Certainly now, cause COVID drove every therapist to the, you know, dogs and was people who, who really thrived. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because it's like, yeah, of course, the diagnosis isn't going to take long. These people know what to look for. They're experts. They know exactly what questions to ask. And you can generally tell if somebody has ADHD within a minute of talking to them. So like this idea that it's too easy, quote unquote, is is hilarious to me because it's like, no, this is what it should be like when you go to people who actually know what they're looking for, as opposed to the incredible like roadblocks that we, we receive from our normal, you know, our typical brick and mortar uh, providers. So it's um, yeah. I don't know how we got on this whole tangent, (laughs) but we can find our way back. That's the beautiful part. I mean, I half the time, like what were we talking about? Okay. Let's go back to that. Yeah. I know. Right. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's women and ADHD.com slash coaching. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, 
self-guided and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. Um, So, okay, so let's talk about your ADHD and kind of how, since you were diagnosed, how it's changed your sense of self, right? Or what do, what do you now look at and really love about it, about your brain? I mean, I definitely, it's made a sense of a lot of things that I, you know, I, you hear the superpower word and I'm, you know, I don't know, superpower is probably not the right word because there's a lot of downside that comes with it. But, you know, the fact that I have fallen into a career that has always been about innovation, innovation and discovering new products and finding a new story to tell and, being able to just like sniff out my own, like use my creativity in a way that I'm sniffing out my own. I can create, use, create my own story of a new product and just learn and kind of iterate and pivot. Like there's, it's not the same. It's a challenge. You know, I've, that whole piece has been how I've ever been, why I've been successful in my, this, this career in sales. And I know innately now that it is completely because I don't think like everybody else. So if I thought like everybody else, you know, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be this like aha moment, this aha thing. I mean, this last company where I was before my husband started the second company where I am now, I'd gone to consult. I called several people who were in startup companies. Like, do you want to do have sales consulting? Like, I didn't know what I was like really selling, but I had a lot of clients all of a sudden. Then I was like, wow, I can't pay attention to all these people. And this is before my ADHD. And I went to this one company and then like 2018, I kept seeing these heads of diversity inclusion popping up on LinkedIn. And I was like, gosh, there's something to that. Like all these companies are hiring heads of diversity inclusion and I was selling learning content. And we had really good, some good DNI learning um, content. And I went to the CEO and was like, Hey, you know, I feel like we should just try to head, hit these people up and sell DNI content. And she's like, sure, see what happens. Kind of sniff that out. <clears throat> and then, of course, when the George Floyd murder happened in 2020, every company in the world wanted diversity and inclusion learning content. And that company blew up. And the three women who started it sold it a few months ago for 60 million bucks. And like <clears throat> that, that, like, there's this intuitiveness, I think, this instinctiveness that comes with the ADHD, probably very much you recognize in your news background, right, that you can really follow a scent um, is probably the biggest thing that I find most rewarding about how I get to use that, you know, in my work life. Yeah, yeah, there's so much intuition involved with journalism, which is mostly just that idea of like, if I find this interesting, chances are other people are going to find this interesting. So how do I tap into what is most interesting about this story, and then kind of turn it around and, and, um, I, what I always loved about journalism was how I had like, you know, okay, you've got quick, you've got 48 hours to become an expert in a brand new subject, you know, nothing about, and then you have to turn around and explain it to somebody else, which I just found like such a great, what a, what an amazing way to learn, you know, sitting in a classroom for an entire semester is, is a terrible way to learn, but like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I'm always like, oh, working in a startup is like a crash course MBA. Cause you're exposed to so many things you would not be exposed to otherwise, you know, and like 
working under pressure, I also realize is something that I always have done to myself, right or wrong, like procrastination last minute, but I always worked best. And so I think like, and that's, you know, being a TV reporter for a while was definitely that same feeling, right? Like I have to get this package turned around. I got to write it on the one man band. I got to shoot it. I got to edit it. I got to package it. Um, but it was, it was not fun when I had to go cover like a three hour city council meeting about water. And I'm like, I don't even know what the story is here because I half didn't even pay attention, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely had a lot of those town board meetings. Um, (laughs) um, yeah. So, so I want to talk about go happy hub because it is a really interesting company. I know it's not necessarily, um, you know, usually when I talk to entrepreneurs, I'm like, okay, let's, how can people find you? And you know, this is to help people and stuff. Yeah, no, ours is a totally different tech world. Yeah. But it's kind of a radical concept, sadly, in this country where, you know, it seems like the whole company is about treating your employees like human beings who have worth. (laughs) It's like, you look at the website, you're like, wow, this is really radical. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my husband started back in 2000, this company called snag a job, which is a big like hourly job site in the, in the U S based here in Richmond. Um, and his, you know, his dad was a, owned a jewelry store and was always looking for part-time help. And, you know, my husband's like, gosh, I wonder, you know, if there's people who like, how do people who are like, look for part-time jobs online, you know? And so he spent nine months while he was an attorney, which is thank God we weren't together. Cause I'd have never been like, yeah, quit your cushy attorney job and start a.com. Right. That would have not happened. Um, <laughs> and, you know, started snagging job. And I just remember seeing the job on monster ironically and was like, Oh my gosh, what a great idea. Like I'd only been out of college a couple of years and I'd been gone to Applebee's and filled out all my paperwork and went to Rockola cafe and filled out an application. And this was all doing it on, on the internet. Right. So that was the first company, which took several years to, to really change behaviors of people who are like, I just put a sign in the window. I don't know who's hiring, you know, and now there being people who their sole job at the corporate office of the targets of the world is to post internet jobs on there. So um, so then when we left there, his, his real passion has always been people and, and just leadership and servant leadership. And he was the CEO who like knew where your dad went to college and your cat's name and, you know, all the things right about every employee. Um, and so just really, we won great place to work all these years and things, but it was very much about, um, the love of, you know, just loving on your people and how, if they're, you have an engaged employee set, how happy is your work environment? How, how much more production are you getting out of this productivity? Are you getting out of those people? So when he was noodling around for company number two, you know, we knew that hourly frontline workers so well from snag job that it's like, gosh, what if we could impact their, like them being retained because the turnover rates are so high. And, you know, and for my husband's philosophy, it just always comes back to having them feel connected to the company and communication has been a huge issue. And if you work at you know, any fast food or warehouse or, you know, anything like that, there's no company email that you're getting, you know, we get up and look at our email in the morning and we know kind of what our day is like, and that's an hourly person has nothing. Right. And so the software that um, we ended up developing um, is all an ability to send a company to send text communication out to 10,000, a hundred thousand, 5,000, however many employees they have to include them in company info. And it's really fun to watch like a Chuck E. Cheese is a client of mine and they launched in November of the week of Thanksgiving and their whole senior leadership C-suite made a two minute video of all the reasons they are thankful for their frontline and texted it out. So every phone, even if you have a flip phone, you don't have to download an app, right? It lands as a text could feel, could see that, you know, and the response you hear from these frontline employees, whether they're 60 or 16 
they're just, they're so happy and they feel so grateful to be included in information that comes from the, the leadership. So it's been really fun. Um, it's a fun product to grow. Nobody knows about us, right? So I just got to be beating the emails and phone calls of all the people, but that's my job. Um, but it's really a fun product to sell because people who we tend, you know, that tend to want to, you know, sign on and be clients are people who really care and are intentional about culture and loving on their people. So. Right. And this, I don't know why this feels like such a foreign concept in the U S I think probably because of the whole, you know, Protestant work ethic. But like when I remember talking to my, um, uh, Rachel Morgan Trimmer, who is, uh, she's in the UK, but she is a neurodiversity consultant for companies, right? Where she goes in and she's like, how can we make an ideal environment for autistic workers? I love her. I love this person. Like I, what we we'll talk about this later. I need to write that name down because I've been telling my my sister that a lot too. Is companies are focused on bringing up their numbers of neurodiverse people because they see the value of having different diversity of thought. So anyway, keep going. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah, like going back to this idea of having inclusion and diversity in the workplace and recognizing like what does what does each one of my workers need to be their best worker, right? Or even just the idea of like what do you need to get the A in our students? Like it's mm-hmm. not a matter of like can you conform or can you not to this rigid environment? It's like which, you know, how can we, you know, mold the environment to help you? so that you can be the best employee. And then, you know, like, why is this such a foreign concept that if you give people individualized attention uh, and they flourish and they have self-worth and then they do really well and they're amazing employees and then you make more money. Yeah. And I think generationally we'll start to see such a difference, but like when I was in this, this learning space of diversity inclusion and talking to these gigantic, well-known companies, the biggest issues are, you know, and it's awful to say, but it's the old white men who work there, who are in upper management, even middle management, who have been doing the same thing their whole lives. And it's what their dads did and grandfathers did. And there's, it's this, it's harder to change the minds and the mindsets of those people who tend to be in leadership positions. Right. And so you can do all the things to make an accommodation for a neurodiverse person, but if you don't have a leader who understands the neurodiverse person, you know, it doesn't matter if they're sitting in a room with earphones on or whatever you're trying to do, you, you know, that then it's just going to fail. You know what I mean? You have to have, they have to be bought in and really understand the what's in it for them and why, and just how this, how to interact and how to, how to coach and lead somebody like that. And there's just not enough leaders who know how to lead in that way, I think mm-hmm. is that's why I think it's gonna be fascinating to watch future generations come up because our kids already have totally different schools of thought around the donut versus the cookie, right? So. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, you know, that's really what's fueling this great, the great quit or the great walkout or whatever we're calling it these days. Like, you know, this, 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 yeah, the great, yeah, the great resignation. So, I mean, this idea that like nobody has any work ethic anymore. Nobody wants to show up and do the work. I'm like, no, nobody wants to do excessive amounts of terrible work for low pay. Like, <laughs> this is a real shift. appreciation and recognition, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. That's like when our clients, are launching with us, it's very much rooted in appreciation recognition. Like we're so excited to be able to invest in you and include you in company information and things like that. Right. And so that's just, it's fun to be a part of that movement in that way, but I'm excited for future generations too, that have such an impact, like a potential to, to impact, um, just the workplace in general and so much that's needed to, for change. And it's just been an interesting two years. 
Yeah. Yeah. I went to a dermatologist recently and he was so friendly. The whole staff was so friendly and it was such an odd, uncomfortable experience. <laughs> like, you know, it was so different from what I'm used to in a, in a medical environment, right? Everybody was friendly. Everybody like explained what was happening. Um, I was seen on time. There was even a sign up in the dermatologist's office that was like, if you, um, you know, if you are, if your insurance won't pay for a certain medication, don't pay for it. Call us. We will help you figure ah, out alternatives. Like found the like golden ticket here. Like they need right? to be complicated. Well, and not only that, but then I got a text like a day after my appointment that said, would you like to give us a, a Yelp review or a Google review? And I was like, hell yeah, I will. I'll give you a five-star yeah. review. That was such a great experience. And I went to give a five-star review to this office and it was just hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews from people yeah. like me who were like, I can't believe how nice they were. And I was like, wow, it's such a low bar. But I was like, it's like, why, how have we, how have we found this disconnect? Right. Which is like right. when, and you actually are have a focused intention. They're purposeful about their culture and about how they treat people and what their boundaries are. Yeah. And you'll make more money. Like if we, if we really want to lean into capitalism, that seems yeah. like a way better model for, for uh, making money than what we're doing right now. So no. yeah. and it's fresh and you just don't know why it's like, seems the most common sense thing of all time. And why is it not just commonplace? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So now I, I love to ask everybody about the uh, acronym of ADHD because it's it's so problematic and I feel like it 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 needs to change. I don't have a good answer for what it should be, but I'm always curious if you could rename it to yeah. something else. What would you what would you call so it? So I, I I have been noodling on this because I remember seeing this in your question and we were out in Colorado a couple weeks ago and I was like taking a shower and I was like, oh, I think I have it. And I was like, I better go out and like write it in my phone because I will never remember this again. So this morning I was like, did I write it in my phone? And I'm like, yes, I write it in my phone. Like I was so happy. Um, but I was like acutely dynamic human developing, like is where my brain went with it. Like this whole, like you're never done. You're still developing, but it's like acutely dynamic to me, just like jumped out as like, you, it's very unusual to, to me for anybody that I know who's forthcoming with their diagnosis, that they're not just interesting and they're not all in on the ways that they are interesting or what they're interested and passionate about. So that's kind of what, where I, where I landed with it. Well, I like acutely dynamic too, because I think it speaks to the, um, you know, what is problematic about consistency and how so many of us, especially in school, we're told, you know, we're criticized about our inconsistency, right? And so made to feel like we have to be good at everything, which is just impossible. Um, and and as, a, as a result, we've kind of lost track of the things that we are ac acutely dynamic at. And so I love that because it's, a re again, it's positive too, because, you know, I feel like there's such a negative connotation just in general, you know, when, even when I think about it as a kid, you know, of course I'm probably similar in age to you where nobody talked about this. Like there was no ADHD or ADD in girls or anything. Like my little cousin I knew was like opening up every cabinet and everything. And he actually got formally diagnosed, but it was like that little boys thing. Like, you know, everybody hears. Um, and so I just wish it, I would love to see it have a more positive, like, Oh, so lucky you have ADHD. Like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Well, and I think also that idea that like, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Well, basically, you know, I feel like so many of us, at least for me, um, I'm getting so jumbled. I have to start over. Oh, like I get, I listen, I, <laughs> my brain is going so fast. You know, I feel like 
I've internalized that voice of like, you could do it. Like you really could get it done if you just tried harder. And so like, I hear that voice so much louder now just because I oppose it, you know? So I recognize it and I'm like, no, 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 stop that voice. But I, I realize how much I still kind of have internalized that idea of like, "Mm, really, you're just lazy. And Uh, and you could get it done. How much, so much of that lives under the surface so much more closely than I would have ever thought. Like the things that I can pull dredge up, like we were moving last year and I was cleaning up stuff in the attic and I have all my boxes and I find all these report cards and pull them out. And it's hilarious because a couple of them said Tina, because I, for a couple of years told the teachers that was my name that I really went by when we moved. Cause I couldn't stand the name Sneal, but now in the, my grown up life, I appreciate it. But, um, but you know, it's just like, I had all C's in conduct. Okay. I had, it was all like, if Tanil tried harder, if Tanil applied herself, if Tanil, you know, and even in these like second grade, third grade, and you know, you, you almost get a little bitter for a bit at your parents of like, why didn't, why didn't they do more to recognize more, you know? And, and I realize now as a parent too, like, dude, I'm just hanging on by a thread doing the best I can. I don't know. You know, I'm screwing you up in some other way. And so, you know, it's like, I, I I don't fault them whatsoever. And, um, but my husband's always like the irony is your parents were, my dad was, you know, ended up retiring as a university president. I mean, he, nobody had gone to college in their family. He was, they were on food stamps. My dad was 25 pumping gas in the New Jersey turnpike in the freezing cold rain in November. and was like, okay, this stinks. There has got to be a better way and started going to college. And he ended up retiring five years ago as the president of a university. And he was like, was the, the power of education, right? But that story for them was so great, but it was like, there still wasn't a lot of interest in, you know, whether I got a C or D or a B, you know, or an A. And um, I unfortunately went to a really awful school, like this small private school, 47 kids in my grade, where, you know, I look back and I think, okay, my 11th grade English teacher definitely understood what was happening. Like she tossed me this big ball of rubber bands. <laughs> it was like, here, Tanil, just hold on to that. You know, of course, then I'm picking the bands apart, but now I'm listening to everything she's saying. Right. And I mean, those things come to me now as an adult and I'm like, ah, but I mean, I had, I'll never forget my 10th grade geometry teacher. Like I raised my hand to try to answer. And she just laughed and said, maybe just don't try to answer any more questions. And, and then my guidance counselor in 10th grade, I said, this is the college I want to go to. My sister's older boyfriend who she ended up marrying went there and I loved it. And I was like, and she was like, you know, you'll never get in there. You should just, you know, find some other safer schools. And instead of just being like, Hey, you're in 10th grade, we've got time. Here's what you need to do to get in. You know, like I was up for the challenge, but nobody was looking at that. Right. It's like, you just, it, and that those things were what made me think I just, all of that, right. was just stupid. Like my whole life. And it wasn't until my last year and a half of college, when I really dug into that broadcast journalism major, where I found what I was interested in and passionate about that I actually started getting good grades and really starting to come into my own. But it's like, it is a painful look back to think the power these people had on over me and I let them and what, how, an imp- how awfully that impacted my whole life from there. Mm, yeah, I know. Right. I think a lot of us who, who, struggled with our, with school in that way, have a similar feeling where it was like, 
like when I, I, I was very emotional when I went back and looked at my report cards too. Like I cried because I saw this progression of this like girl, like in first and second grade, it was like, she's a natural leader. She's great. She does this. She's enthusiastic. And then it started like picking and it was just picking at things that were so random and, you know, like my handwriting and, and picking at the fact that like, I was, you know, I was too chatty. So I would get separated from the other girls and, and, and have to sit next to my teacher. And there was always ways where it was like more effort is needed. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just sort of, you know, I felt like a lot of us were like, no, we were, there was effort. Like it just wasn't being recognized. And then I just saw that kid like give up and then, the comments transitioned from this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. We're basically like, she's not even showing up to class. Like I just skipped class all the time by high school. I was just getting F's because I was like, I don't care. (laughs) That was totally my sister's path too. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, but just is brutal. It's awful to look back and think about because it just makes you mad, pisses you off, you know, that like, why I wish somebody would have, would have really paid attention or known more. And I mean, I, so I, I love that you're creating awareness about it, but it's also why I advocate my ass off for my child because I'm like, he is smart and I refuse to let his little flame go out because he's not fitting the cookie mold, you know, where he has a lot of other things to offer. I was fortunate that I had a lot of other things at that school and my dad kind of mom joke like, yeah, we knew it wasn't the greatest education, but because there were 47 kids, we knew you could do whatever you want. You want to be in band? Sure. You want to be in drama? Sure. You want to be a cheerleader, play softball, play basketball, which I did all of those things, you know, and I had a chance to really be the head cheerleader and lead pep rallies and things that just were fun and made school better, you know, and that offset the crappy academic, you know, piece that occurred. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I laughed when you were like, uh, you, you know, as a parent now, I feel like I'm trying really hard to make sure that I t- change the narrative for my children. But I also realized that like it's a speeding train and we're going to screw up so many times. Like I used to always joke. I actually used to joke all the time where I'm like, you know, your kid, I'm going to put my kid into therapy no matter what I do. Um, and I remember talking to one of my previous guests, Anna Lopez, who was like, no, that's good. Therapy's good. You want your kid in therapy. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, we, sure. She's like, I want a whole generation of kids who are in therapy. That's good. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. It is. I mean, my middle one, I was joking. Like the instant he was born, I was just like, we don't, I just don't understand. And I was like, we need to go to therapy together. Like I need to go to couples therapy with this kid. And when he, cause he would just have such aggression that was really reserved for me and frustration. I, and, and I realize now he's always trying to like hold things together, but on the safe spot. Right. I was just going to say, you're in the safe space. Took him to a therapist and she has this session with him and she, I come back in at the end and she's like, you know, and I asked him, why is he so hard on you? He said, I think I just love her too much. And she, he drew a picture and I'm kidding. I'm telling you what, I've still have a picture hanging on my corkboard. It was a picture of our family and we're all around the Island in the kitchen. And my husband's laying on the floor, foam rolling. He, my one son and the other son are throwing a ball to each other. My daughter's reading a book and we had also, um, back in 2016 adopted my nephew who was in a really troubled spot at his home his parents having a nasty divorce and it was a few days before he started his senior year and so we had a full plate and they were and he and my nephew and I are standing at the island on our phones and I just thought oh my gosh like if that's not so telling right they just want your attention and that is a struggle for me as a mom my attention's everywhere and being present is the hardest thing for me to do uh, yeah, but I, you know, 
I, I definitely struggle with that. And I was always jealous of my husband when my kids were little because he was the one who was down on the floor playing dolls and Lego with them forever and building train tracks and doing stuff for hours. And I was always like, what is, I'm such a terrible parent that I am, I don't um, want to, I, I can't be present with my kids in that way that they need. And I was very grateful for him. But again, like I, I realize now through my diagnosis, I've been able to kind of really shift my, um, perspective in terms of what I was bringing to that yes. situation, right? Yeah. Which is like, I was the mom who always brought them like grocery shopping. And I was the one who took them to Target and we were always going somewhere. And like, yeah. I couldn't sit still and I had to bring them along. And I'm like, that is incredible, valuable life skills that I was teaching them on the go as well. Right. right? So totally. And you have yeah. to have both both parts. You're both not going to be the parents who are on the floor, you know? Mm. And I definitely wasn't. I was like, I just want to go like sneak off and get a pedicure and read Twilight, you know, like <laughs> You know, like, <laughs> yeah. or, or I, I always would laugh at like whatever it was Mother's Day because Father's Day it's like let's spend the day with Dad. Mother's Day it's like nobody talk to me. That right. is my gift. <laughs> yeah, but although I do tease about the nail salon, I'm like I just want to drop my hands off and come back and pick them up. I cannot sit there. I cannot get my nails done. Like I just had to stop altogether. It's just torture. It's total nail jail is what I call it. Like I can't move. You've got my hands. Like yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Uh, well, anyway, I really enjoyed chatting with you. I'm so glad you reached out. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing your journey. I hope it was cathartic. It is, it is, you know, and it's interesting. It's just fun to talk to people who, when you say all those things, the immediate reaction is not like, oh, you're such a hot mess, which is, you know, kind of the normal MO versus someone who's just like able to totally identify and have have actual back and forth commentary about it. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I didn't realize, I guess it was my intuition when I started the podcast, like I didn't like really formally realize how important these conversations were going to be not only for me and, and you, the interviewee, but then for other people who were listening to these stories to really sort of like how we are kind of completely destigmatizing and releasing so much of that shame that we hold as women in our lives. So well, the fun part I find in listening to your, your podcast and, and, you know, this has been the main one I've, I've listened to. I mean, I, it's hard to find a lot of time to listen to podcasts, but it is like, be, I, I'm always excited and looking for ways to identify with the conversation and with the guest or with you or whatever that story is, where it just makes you feel like either an aha moment or just better about the fact that I, you know, I did the same thing or I've done the same thing, or it's, I, that makes sense to me now. Cause I didn't realize that like just the learning and the, un, the peeling back of the onion. Um, you can just keep hearing little pieces of yourself in the conversation that I think is just what keeps you, um, you know, feeling more, more normal and grounded despite most of the time feeling like you're a balloon flying above. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one -on -one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com slash coaching. 
And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.